in my talk today. First of all, I'm going to speak about the spirit of Metta. And then I will say a few words about Metta as a relational practice. And then the big bulk of this talk deals with Metta as a verb and the fact that it must be expressed also by actions of body and speech. I want to begin with a quote from a Tibetan uh, Buddhist master. His name is Dilgo Kienze Rinpoche. He died almost 30 years ago. And he had said, each morning our first thought should be to dedicate the day for the welfare and well-being of all sentient beings. In other words, this is a meta-attitude. And as Sayadaw has said again and again, meta is the wish for the welfare, for the well-being or happiness of all living beings. And this benevolent wish for the welfare, for the happiness of all beings, this can be expressed in various ways. You know, a meta-vish, a meta-phrase could be, may all beings be well, happy, and peaceful. Or it could be, may all beings be free from danger and harm. Or else, may all beings live at ease and in peace. Or, may all beings be free from suffering. Or, a last example, may all beings be safe and protected. Sayadaw has also written a book on the practice of loving-kindness as a basis for the practice of Vipassana meditation. He has written it in Burmese, and quite a number of years ago, I have translated this book as well in English as also in German. That's how it looks like. That's the German version. I have a few copies of this book here. At the end of the retreat, we'll tell you where and how um, to get to read this book. Because the physical copies, you know, just a few are left. The English, there's no more physical copies. But um, they can be downloaded online, for example, from my website. But the information comes at the end of the retreat. So in this book, he describes the spirit of metta. And I want to read out some of what he has written. The spirit of metta is the wish for the welfare and happiness of all living beings. 
it is never a wish for anything that is not beneficial. In the spirit of metta, we always work for the benefit of other living beings. We never work to create unwholesome results or to inflict suffering. The spirit of metta is always and forever peaceful and cool. It never burns. You remember Sayadaw's simile of the aircon. The spirit of metta is always loving kindness. It never turns to hatred, meaning it's free from hatred, ill will, resentment, anger, or irritation. The spirit of metta is always soft, gentle, and subtle. It is never rough and harsh. The spirit of metta sees and looks at the good side. It does not look for faults or shortcomings. The spirit of metta is always forgiving. It is not oppressive or controlling. The spirit of metta works only for the benefit of others. It doesn't work for our own selfish benefit. The spirit of metta is free from entanglement. There is always independence. So that's from Sayadaw's metta book. I think it is important to note that with the practice of metta, loving kindness, we do not approve of an unwholesome deed that somebody has done. You know, when somebody has emotionally hurt us or if somebody has inflicted injury, suffering on our body, on other people's body, then with metta we do not approve and say that this was right or that it was justified. But with metta, we just try not to react with anger and hatred and therefore close our heart for the other person. When there is metta, we actually can see more clearly what is happening because we do not fall into the trap of anger, aversion. And so with metta, we simply try to see this other person as a living being who also wants happiness, like me. As we have said several times already, pure and genuine metta is not dependent on any conditions. Therefore, we also call it unconditional love. 
and metta does not select beings according to what they do or what they don't do. Metta does not expect anything in return. So our ability to be loving and kind must be truly unconditional, must be limitless and boundless. Metta is a great power of the heart and the mind, and with it we can really stay connected with ourselves and others. To stay present with this benevolent attitude in regard to all living beings, of course, ourselves included. Mahatma Gandhi called this the most powerful and the subtlest force in the universe in his in describing his own spiritual unfolding, Mahatma Gandhi had said, I hold myself to be incapable of hating any being on earth. By a long course of prayerful discipline, I have ceased for over 40 years to hate anybody. I know this is a big claim. Nevertheless, I make it in all humility. So as we know from our practice, metta, cultivating loving kindness, deals with living beings. And again, the classical definition of metta is the wish for the welfare and happiness of all living beings. So metta is a relational practice because it deals with our relation we have to other people, to other beings. And likewise, the other three Brahma-viharas, they are also relational practices because it's also how we can relate, how we should relate uh, to other living beings. As you know, in the systematic practice of metta meditation, we start with ourselves, then we move on to a respected person or a benefactor, from there to a dear person or a good friend. Then the next step is a neutral person, person we neither love nor hate. And then moving on to a so-called difficult person, a person we hate, or a person we consider to be our enemy. And after having gone through these specific categories, then we open up to more beings. So the first step is different groups 
of beings. It could be all the people from our family or all our friends or the colleagues at work or the groups as we have it in the Metta chant, all females, all males, all beings that can be seen, all beings that are not seen, and so on. Or it could also be cultivating metta in the different directions, the direction of the north, the south, east, west, the directions in between, above, below. And then finally, opening up our practice to include all living beings, wherever they are. The Buddha didn't get tired to say how beneficial a metta attitude is and how beneficial it is to be kind, to be caring, loving, or friendly. And he also pointed out how beneficial it is to be friendly even just for one moment. Here is a passage from the Itiwutaka, um, which belongs to the Kutakanikaya, where the Buddha had said, if one shows kindness with a clear mind for living creatures, even once, by that one abides in a wholesome state. So even just once, one moment abiding with a metta thought is wholesome, is beneficial. We abide, we dwell in a wholesome state in that moment. Very often the word metta is used as a noun. And we have the English translations such as loving kindness, benevolence, friendliness, or love, unconditional love. With the practice of metta meditation, we develop and cultivate this quality of loving kindness in our heart, in our mind, to really make it very strong, to make it deep. And with the practice, it becomes stronger and stronger. But even when the metta, the quality of metta, has become really very strong and very powerful, the work is not yet finished. Once attained it, it's not enough. It's not something that we then can tick off the list and say, done, now, next thing. Because metta is something we must constantly engage in. We need to manifest it with all our being. We need to manifest it in all our actions of the body. We need to manifest it 
in our speech. The Buddha also used the word metta as a verb. And so this emphasizes the fact that loving kindness is something that we must do or that it is something we must engage in. And in that passage from the scriptures, it says, or it's translated as, if one shows kindness with a clear mind for living beings, even once, by that one abides in a wholesome state. So we must show the kindness or we must enact kindness. We must manifest it or we, we need to be kind. We need to be friendly. The word, the Pali word metta bhavana, which is usually translated as metta meditation or the cultivation of loving kindness. More literally, it means causing kindness to be. And this kindness then needs to be directed to somebody, to a living being. So kindness or metta is directed towards a living being, but it is something that needs to be cultivated in ourselves, in our own heart and mind. We only or we simply take another person or a group of people or all beings as the object of our metta meditation so that we can cultivate and strengthen this wholesome quality in ourselves. Metta or kindness is not just an idea. It's not just a kind of an intellectual thought, but you know, we could call it a living emotion a living state of mind or heart. Now you have been here in this Metta retreat for one week and in the practice of cultivating Metta during this past week, you have surely come to see the difference between simply thinking a thought of kindness or actually experiencing the benevolent and uh, uh, friendly quality of loving-kindness. As we have also pointed out again and again, the thoughts or the phrases, the meta-wishes, they act as a helpful basis and support for the arising and manifestation of metta. But the words alone, the concepts alone, are not enough. At another time, the Buddha had said that there is nothing 
that changes so rapidly as the mind. The mind is constantly shifting attention from one object to another. It's constantly shifting between wholesome states of mind, unwholesome states of mind. It's constantly moving between uh, good, beneficial uh, thoughts or emotions, mental states, and detrimental or harmful thoughts and states of mind. And probably you have experienced it yourself. For example, you have been cultivating metta, let's say for a dear friend, metta metta is going well, you feel the warmth and the kindness, the heart is soft, very enjoyable, pleasant. But then, within a second, a thought can pop up and boom, anger is in the mind. You know, this shows how quickly the mind can change, how fast that is. And so, even if we have just one moment of loving-kindness in our heart and mind, then we have ennobled our mind with a beneficial state of mind. And with that, we have reduced the negativity in our mind by one moment. Because when there is a moment of pure metta, at the same time there cannot be any aversion or hatred or craving. So with that one moment of metta, we have made, we have ennobled the mind, make it a noble state, a sublime state, and reduced it by one moment of negativity, of unwholesomeness. You know, you might think that this does not really make a difference, you know, just one moment. But actually, it makes a difference, and even a greater difference that we might think. Because each moment of pure metta is actually very powerful and it can have far-reaching effects. I think we have all experienced times when we, are, when we have been caught in negativity. Something, or it seems that everything is going against us. And in such moments, it seems to be so difficult to think a kind thought. You know, at such a moment, we cannot think of one good reason why anyone should deserve our kindness. Even though it seems impossible, we should try anyway. Can we just think a kind thought, a meta thought for a person for whom it's usually easy to arouse um, a meta thought? And at that time, the metta-thought might not come from the deepest place in our heart. However, 
already the intention to think a kind thought is turning the mind in a other direction, in a good direction, in a wholesome direction. And so, even if it's only one moment, it will have a transformative effect upon the heart and the mind. It will help change the dynamic of our heart and mind. So it really does make a difference. And so in this way, you know, this could be um, a helpful start to get out of the negativity. As Sayadaw has mentioned two days ago in his talk, there are three levels of metta. And Ayaviranyani has also talked about it yesterday in her talk. This is a very important point, and so I think it will not hurt when I talk about it again, um, elaborating um, on this topic a bit. Because we also um, you know, have to consider what would be the point of cultivating metta on the level of the mind when one's, ac- when one's actions and speech are not informed by metta? You know, it's, it's nice to, 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 to dwell in, in the state of metta, loving kindness, but it really must inform our life how we act, how we speak. So the three levels, as you all know, and um, a Burmese Sayadaw now would ask the meditators, so now please tell what is the first level <laughs> of metta. Kaya kama metta, metta expressed by bodily actions. Then the second level, vachi kama metta, metta expressed by speech. And the third level, mano kama metta, metta expressed by thoughts. And here, in this metta meditation retreat, in your metta meditation practice, mostly you cultivate metta on the level of the heart and the mind, the mano kama metta level. And so the aim of this practice is to really get in touch with the quality of loving kindness, benevolence, make it stronger, make it more powerful. And with the repeated practice, it's like trying to make a new habit so that the natural tendency of the heart and the mind is one dwelling in metta. And the Sayadaw has said, 
you know, because all actions of body and speech spring from the mind, it's really very important and crucial to make the metta very strong and deeply rooted on this level, in the mind, in the heart. But then, it really, the metta, the kindness, the friendliness, must translate into metta-infused actions. So we should actually manifest this friendly, kind, loving attitude in all our actions. One of the meditators who has already been here uh, previously done a meta retreat, she told in her interview that by now the meta has already become quite strong and quite firm. And she tried to explain that the quality of metta being strong and firm was also actually quite gentle and soft. And she said, well, actually, you know, this metta is just a gentleness. And she added that it feels like having round edges. Yes. You know, this gentleness is an expression of metta. And so when the metta is really present in one's heart and mind, then it expresses itself as gentle, kind, soft metta actions. And of course also in kind and soft, gentle metta speech. However, and I think this is also very important to understand, this gentleness or this softness of metta, it does not mean weakness. Not at all. It's gentle, but it's strong. It's powerful. You know, it's really a firm power. The baseline of being a decent and kind human being is that we do not want to hurt or harm other people, other living beings. <clears throat> we do not even want to disturb them in any way or cause irritation. For example, you know, here you are in a meditation center and you practice metta meditation. And one disturbance that very often causes irritation or even great anger um, to arise is noise. You know, that can be noise from the environment, loud music or loud traffic, which you are very lucky is not really happening right, right now here or noise caused by fellow meditators. And you know from your own practice how much this can be disturbing, how much this can cause you know, irritation, ill will, 
or an explosion of anger. So as Sayadaw has already pointed out, you know, in the spirit of metta, we can try to move around without making any noise or as little noise as possible. So moving around quietly and reducing man-made noise as much as possible, this is actually also a manifestation of metta as a physical action, kaya kama metta. So with your care of moving quietly, you know, it shows that you really care for your fellow meditators, that you, de- that you really do not want to disturb them in any way. You know, some meditators may think that the other meditators, they should, see, they should simply be mindful of the noise or be tolerant. But, you know, doing the metta practice, this shows that one is still rather moving around in one's own bubble. Being in one's own bubble, thinking something like, oh well, I do what I need to do, and the others uh, deal with it accordingly. As I've said earlier in this talk, metta is a relational practice. You know, we do stay on the level of conventional reality, where we have living beings, humans, animals, other kind of beings. So with metta, we do not uh, go to the absolute level where there is nama and rupa, just physical and mental phenomena. It's not the vipassana kind of practice where we are mindful of hearing and anger arising and so on. Of course, seen from a vipassana practice perspective, noise is simply noise, and the meditator should be mindful of it. But here we practice metta meditation. And with that comes along to really embody this quality of metta in our actions of body and speech. Sometimes inconsiderate behavior is simply the side effect of any kind of concentration practice. And as you know, metta is one of the 40 objects given in the scriptures um, as a samatha practice, a concentration practice. And so, you know, trying to deepen one's uh, concentration to make the mind one-pointed by focusing on the one object we have chosen, in our case, the metta. So by doing that, it can easily happen 
that one becomes really absorbed into one's object to the point when, where is, when one is no longer aware of one's physical actions, when one is no longer aware of the impact our physical actions have. Just to give you another example. In the dining hall, you know, this is where uh, you should cultivate metta for all living beings. According to Sayadaw's instruction, may all living beings be well, happy, and peaceful. May all living beings be well, happy, and peaceful. And so really, wishing from the bottom of the heart that all beings be happy and well. But then, but really not being aware of how much noise there is by pulling the chair across the tiles. You know, wishing all beings, may they be happy and well, and then making so much noise and probably causing disturbance to the meditator right next to you. So when we engage in metta meditation practice, we must develop both the quality of metta together with the the focus, the one-pointedness, but we must also be aware of the space within which we practice, meaning to be aware of the environment or the circumstances where we are. And this is where Sampachanya comes into the practice. Sampachanya means clear comprehension in regard to our practice. Clear comprehension includes, for example, to not lose one's object of meditation, which in our case means not to lose the cultivation of metta for all living beings, not to get carried away by other thoughts, you know, to try to maintain it uninterruptedly. But then clear comprehension also includes a kind of circumspection to adjust our practice to the circumstances, to the environment where we are. It's also called the suitability of our practice. Is it suitable for the place where I am? And so in the dining hall, really being aware that there are other people other meditators and being aware of our physical actions, what we are actually doing and the impact that these actions uh, have. In the Metta Sutta that we often recite in the evening during the Metta chanting, It says, 
whether standing or walking, sitting or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. So if we want metta to become a sublime abiding, a Brahma-vihara, we must embody this friendly, loving, kind metta attitude all the time, in all postures, throughout the day, in all our activities. Now I want to relate uh, an example of, of an ordinary person who expressed his kindness in a physical action. And his kind and loving action had a tremendous impact. A meditator told me this story in a retreat in Ireland some years ago. So this meditator's name was Tom, and he and his brother, they stayed with their parents in a ski resort in Switzerland. It was in Klosters. The parents had um, a flat there and very often spent their holidays there. And so in wintertime, Tom and his brother stayed with their parents. And on a beautiful sunny day, they decided to go skiing together. Now, Tom, he had his own ski boots, but he didn't bring his own skis. But in the basement, there was an extra pair of skis. So before they could go skiing, Tom needed to go to a shop to adjust his boots to the skis. And his brother wanted to get a few things in the village. So the father took the two of them in his car, dropped Tom at the shop, and then took Tom's brother to the other place. And they said that they would gonna meet at the corner where the pharmacy was. Now it took much longer to fit the boots to the skis. And by the time Tom came to that corner, nobody was there. And he remembered that he forgot his ski pass in the flat. So he took the local bus, went back to the flat, and the father, in the meantime, had been driving around in the village, looking for him, not finding him, and finally also thought, well, I go back to the flat and see if Tom is there. And so the father found Tom in the flat, and the father was angry really very angry. And when he saw Tom, he just lashed out his anger on, on Tom. Tom, being a seasoned med meditator, he realized that he didn't want you know, to, to get into the, in anger or react with anger. 
So he tried to stay really calm, and the father just lashing out his angry words on him. And it was difficult not to react with anger, and so Tom left the living room and went to the kitchen, trying to get a little bit away from his father's anger. But the father followed him, continuing to lashing out the angry words. But then what Tom did next was completely unexpected and surprising. He went up to his father and simply gave him a big, loving hug. And the father, completely taken by surprise, immediately lost his anger. And everything was fine. So then they went down into the car, up to the skiing resort, and they had a wonderful day skiing together. So Tom had taken the teachings to heart and he had really tried not to fall into the trap of anger, but maintaining or dwelling in a meta attitude. And the simple physical action of giving a hug, a tremendous impact. And this also shows how quickly the mind changes. His father's anger, you know, from one moment to the next, boom, gone. Or another story that I like is the story of a policeman in Switzerland. And this happened many, many years ago in a small town called Olten. So this policeman, one day when he made the round in the center of the town, he saw that there was a car that wrongly parked in front of the church in the middle of the town. And as was his duty, he took out the little booklet to write fines and filled out the page. And then he put the fine under the wiper, how it was done at that time. And as he was doing this, from across the place and the street, he saw a woman coming out of the Fögere shoe shop, carrying two big bags and holding three children um, on, either, uh, on, on her sides. And already the car was an, kind of an old, uh, very much used car, and he saw that the children were wearing rugged clothes, and the mother itself also old clothes, and her hair was not really tidy. And, you know, within a second, the thoughts were going through his mind, well, this woman, you know, being quite poor, probably had just parked the car in front of the church to quickly go into the shoe shop and get some cheap shoes because there was, uh, they were on sale. So to get cheap shoes for her uh, children, 
and then go back home. Realizing that, you know, it would be very difficult for her to pay the fine. And so with that, he took the fine from under the wiper, put it into his pocket, and quickly walked away, not wanting that the woman saw him. But then, because he had already, already written the fine, and you know the copy was in the book, he could not simply throw it away. So then he went to the post office and paid the fine himself. And apparently, that was not the first time that this policeman did a thing like this. So these are you know, two examples of meta-infused bodily actions from you know, quite ordinary people. When Sayadaw tells these stories you know, of the Bodhisattva, uh, the Buddha-to-be in one of his previous existences, you know, how he manifested his metta, can be inspiring. But I also find it very inspiring just to have stories and examples from people who live nowadays and from people who are quite ordinary people, like the stories that Ayaviraniani told yesterday. And so, likewise, also our speech must be imbued with metta, so that it becomes vachi kama metta. <clears throat> and metta speech is speech that is true and beneficial, first of all. That's the basic guideline from, uh, by the Buddha. You know, whenever we say something, it should be true and beneficial. And with that speech, meta-speech, uh, that should be free from any kind of anger or ill will or irritation and so on. Meta-speech that is sweet, beneficial and pleasing to hear, as we have chanted last night in the meta-chant. Or it could be defined as speech that conduces to understanding, to harmony, that conduces to a peaceful living together. You know, not only our actions, physical actions, have a tremendous impact on others, also our speech has a tremendous impact on others, also on ourselves. In our everyday lives, we speak a lot. It's such a habitual activity. And very often people are not really aware how they use their speech. And as a result, people often are not aware that the way they use their speech is harmful or causing irritation or even causing 
um, deep harm. Here is the example of an Israeli meditator in Jerusalem. And she had made it an essential practice to use her speech in a way that does not add more hate to the world. So basically, to use meta-speech or have her speech always be infused with meta. Apparently, it does not snow very often in Jerusalem. But when it does, then everything slows down. And on a day when it had snowed overnight um, and everything, you know, slowed down and uh, streets were blocked by the snow, she didn't get her newspaper delivered because of too much snow. But she wanted to know whether or not the newspaper would still be delivered on that day or not. And so she called the company to find out. And the person, the woman to whom she spoke on the phone said that she, the Israeli meditator, was the first person on the phone that wasn't angry at the woman from the company. And so <clears throat> the meditator told the woman on the phone that she had made this commitment to not add any more hate to the world because there was already too much. The Buddha once told Ananda, his assistant, that bodily acts of loving-kindness create love and respect and that they conduce to cohesion, non-dispute, concord, and unity. And likewise, the Buddha said, verbal acts of loving-kindness create love and respect. They conduce to cohesion, non-dispute, concord, and unity. And also, the Buddha said, mental acts of loving-kindness create love and respect. They conduce to cohesion, non-dispute, concord, and unity. Yeah, so if the heart and the mind is really full, <coughs> it's really full of metta, and if it's really mm, deeply rooted, then the actions of body and speech will also be infused with metta. Then they will be meta-actions and meta-speech. As I've already said, metta, loving-kindness, it's a tremendous power. It's a great force. Although, you know, we cannot really see it, we cannot really touch it. And still, it's a tremendous force that has a great um, ability for transformation, 
a force that can have a great impact on other living beings, on ourselves. Here, I want to relate the story of a Burmese monk who lived in the last century before the Second World War. This Burmese monk, he lived in different forest monasteries in the district of, district of Pago, which is kind of southeast of Yangon. And, you know, at that time, the forests, they were really still jungles with wild animals, wild animals and wild elephants and tigers and so on. And so while he was staying in one such monastery and having a little kuti, a little bamboo hut built out in the f um, forest, a large tiger came every evening and slept under his hut, but it never attacked the monk or his attendant who lived with him. And, you know, the hut was built off the ground so there was maybe uh, one and a half meters or two meters space below the hut where, you know, in the rainy season one could sit under the hut, be sheltered from the rain as well. And, you know, the floor high up. Or in the cold season, um, one morning, the Sayadaw was up inside the hut meditating, or the monk, and his attendant was below the hut, sitting on the ground, making a fire to warm himself um, at the fire. And the tiger also came and also decided to sit near the fire um, to warm itself. So it just laid down, curled up next to the fire. And the attendant, he was also used to this tiger coming. He was not afraid uh, of it. And then when the tiger became really mm, tired, he yawned. And as soon as the attendant saw into its enormous open mouth, the attendant imagined what would happen if he took a piece of the burning wood and threw it into the mouth of the tiger. But then, as soon as the attendant had thought this harmful thought, the tiger roared, a loud and quite frightening sound. And we must remember, it had only been a thought the piece of burning wood had not yet been thrown into the tiger's mouth. And so the monk sitting up in the hut meditating, um, of course he heard the roaring of the tiger, and so he called out, he shouted, Attendant, pay attention to your thoughts. It seems that you had a harmful thought directed to the tiger. And when the attendant heard these words, only then 
he realized the nature of his thought, and he immediately switched to cultivate metta for the tiger. And as a result of that, the tiger went back to sleep, and it slept peacefully in its usual way. So metta as a friendly, loving, kind attitude must be cultivated and manifested on all three levels. Metta in deed, metta in speech, and metta in thoughts. Even if one were to attain the highest jhanas that is possible with the metta meditation, this would not yet be enough, or the practice would not yet be complete. Only when the metta, our kindness, friendliness, shines forth, radiates from our whole being in all directions, in all situations, only then can we say that our metta practice is complete and perfected. So I want to end this talk with a quote from Acharya Buddharakitta. He was an Indian monk who died five years ago. He, as a monk, he was quite a prolific writer. He also established the famous Mahabodhi Society in India, in Bangalore, and it has several branches. So he had said, if the quality of metta is sufficiently cultivated through metta bhavana, the meditation on universal love, the result is the acquisition of a tremendous inner power which protects and heals both ourselves and others. Thank you for your kind attention. Some more instructions today. It's two days now that Sayadaw gave you the instruction to switch to a dear person, a good friend. And you have cultivated metta for a dear friend for a good dear friend, a close person. And so now uh, you can choose a second good friend, a second dear person. And, you know, as usual, you may start with a person you're already familiar with, for whom the metta is easy to arouse. So, for example, you could take the first good friend, you know, having cultivated for this good friend your metta and it's present and there. So start with the first good friend and then when the momentum of metta is present, then 
switch to the second good friend or dear person. Or, you know, if it's easier to start with a benefactor, respected person, to get the momentum of metta going, you can do that as well. Cultivate metta for your benefactor, for whom it's very easy, and then from there go to the second good friend. And, you know, if it's going well with the good friend, the second good friend, then uh, stay with this friend in order to further deepen and strengthen this quality of loving-kindness. And for the general activities, going on the forest path, it's still the same, the metta for all living beings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.